Hey everyone, welcome to JoJo's World. Good middle day. Merry Christmas, one oh, and all. No. Gosh, I don't it's probably going to be pretty much New Year's by the time we release this episode. Happy New... Uh, well, I mean, even then it might be past New Year's. Hope you... No. Maybe. I'm, pun I'm Just because I forgot to uh, upload this week's the most recent episode until three days after I was meant to, it doesn't mean I'm not a punctual podcaster. I mean, I'm just saying, in the amount of time we have left, is this going to go up? The amount of time we have left. Oh no. Oh no. And we need to cherish every moment. I've cursed this podcast. <laughs> I'm Liam S. Smith, one of your co-hosts. And I'm Nick Ballantyne, the other one of the co-hosts. This is JoJo's World, our Bubblegum Crisis Tokyo 2040 <laughs> recap and discussion podcast. Where today we're talking about a little anime called Bubblegum Crisis Tokyo 2040. It's a good time. It takes place in Tokyo. 2040. You mean Mega Tokyo, right? I do, the Megalo City yeah, of Tokyo not... 3. Tokyo's old news, alright? Mm. That's so like That's so two earthquakes ago. <laughs> I keep forgetting there were two earthquakes. Well, if you recall from a year ago, mm. the major earthquake was artificially enacted to stop the machine apocalypse. Mm. Mm. But what was the other earthquake? I don't know, some earthquake. Yeah, just some big earthquake where like, oh, the boomers helped rebuild. No, no, that, that was the bad earthquake. And then we had another earthquake. No, so no, the boomers helped rebuild after the artificial earthquake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the boomers also helped with the... No, they didn't exist at that point. Oh. So the humans helped with that one. Yeah. yeah. Mostly humans, I would say. Mm. Given Some there dogs. were no boomers. <laughs> Some dogs. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Speaking of dogs, Liam. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Our patrons. Ah, those damn dogs. <laughs> Those beautiful... Scurvy dogs. Diamond dogs. Oh, true, yeah. Mm. You're diamonds now. And they are diamonds in the rough. To me, Nick B. Allentine. Uh, Allentine, yeah. Nick B. Allentine. Don't you dare conflate me with Allen. That sick nah. fuck. From Bubblegum Crisis. Tokyo 2040. Yeah. However, we have a hell of a patron. A hell of a patron. I'm actually very excited because this guy's name is pretty, is pretty, as the kids say... Fire, or as the more modern kids will say, lit. Chugi. <laughs> Jesus. I just want to say, from the bottom of my heart, a big thank you to Where is Sandwich? Where is Sandwich? No question mark, just where is Sandwich? Is that like sandwich? a Team Fortress 2 thing? Or oh, it might. The famous sandwich? Ah, all they wanted was a sandwich, but they never got it because the loaves grew sentient. Oh, that thing. Yeah, I yeah. was talking about the item. Oh, the item that yeah, the, the that heavy is a sandwich that you yeah. can eat with mm. shocking regularity. <laughs> look, you just pull it out. You're like, look, the sandwich is still. Let's there. quickly run down our top ten media sandwiches. TF2 sandwich. TF2 sandwich. The sandwich from uh... the Simpsons that uh, Homer oh, lets rot. Yes, the one that he eventually mm -hmm. eats and gets sick. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, delicious animated bread from Aladdin. From Aladdin? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that he like chunk yeah. the kids. Yeah. Not a sandwich per se, but I'm going to allow it. Uh, every anime sandwich from a Ghibli um, yep. film mm -hmm. ever. Or should I say Ghibli, apparently. Yeah. Get some learning insight. Apparently it's Ghibli. Never knew. I did. Well, fuck. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know if that's true or not. Um, that one Reuben sandwich from, uh, I think it was Cheers that they make. Is it Cheers? Oh, I thought you were talking about the Reuben sandwich you would always get from the uh, cafe near my old The Reuben sandwich from Mary Street Bakery. And it counts because he would often be eating it immediately before recording this podcast. Mm, Not Mary Street Bakery, from um, Artem. From Artem? Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. I thought I got one from Mary Street Bakery. I don't like the... <laughs> this is... <laughs> This is, this I don't is the most. Like the sandwiches. Everyone in LA who does a podcast spends all of their podcasting time talking about shops specific to LA, <laughs> and this is us doing that. No, to talking about cafes near an apartment that I don't live in anymore, <laughs> but will soon live in one near. Oh. Hmm. Well, what well. a life update for the listeners. So we'll go back to Artem. Oh, the sandwiches from the fucking Panda and Co. place. Yeah, um, also good was, sandwiches. It was directly opposite a servo that I was like, is it safe to make a sandwich that close to petrol? Nick, it's an Australian-Asian fusion restaurant. Ah, so it's got the Asian sandwich vibes mixed with the Australian servo. You There's can get a, a brekkie burger or a brekkie bow. Mm, and we always got both. Yes. Mm. Um, okay, back to media. I want to say there's probably some sort of Metal Gear Solid sandwich. 
Or at least some kind of like thing that you eat. Yeah. But yeah. we're talking about sandwiches. Mm. I think there's a sandwich that they eat at one point in three. Oh, this is harder than I thought. Yeah, you thought it was going to be a cakewalk, mm. but no, it's a sandwich. How many do we have? Uh, two more. Oh, wow, we're doing, be- we're doing better than I thought. This oh, is okay. easy. <laughs> uh, I guess maybe the sandwich that you get in Mother, the RPG, Mother 2. I'll take your word for it. Sure, I think it's a sandwich and not a sushi roll, but... I think you really shot us in the foot by... by encompassing all of the Studio Ghibli films in one <laughs> item on this list. There may only be one sandwich in Studio Ghibli <laughs> films. That's what I'm worried about. Like, all the other ones could, like, be, um... Is it onigiri? The little sushi yeah, triangle or things? just, like, noodles and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Big and ramen culture. You watch them and you're like, oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> but you're never going to make it yourself, you know? And the Pulp Fiction sandwiches... <laughs> Oh, or burgers, from which the they call deli? the Americans call them a hamburger sandwich, so it counts. Wait, but then what the hell's a Royale with cheese? That's when you um <laughs> win a match of Fortnite, uh-huh. yeah, and you have some cheese. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Weirdly specific there. They call it a victory royale. A victory royale. Yeah. But, but it's just legally distinct enough from Player Unknown's Battlegrounds winner winner chicken dinner. Oh, okay, right, gotcha. What the hell is a fucking hamburger then? A hamburger sandwich. See, unlike Pulp Fiction, this is a very short conversation because we found the answer. Is it very short? Absolutely, it is. <laughs> Tokyo I mean, the, the ranking is twenty forty. Thanks, where is sandwich? Thank you, where is sandwich? We finally figured it out. We did. <laughs> Moving waves. Now I said to Nick as we were I was looking up my usual um, low level of research for this podcast mm-hmm. we should probably listen to this song because this is a the title track of the album Moving Waves by Focus and I've never heard of Focus and Nick looked at me and said I have their entire discography I like Focus They're I've cool never dudes. heard of them apparently according to their Wikipedia page they are a Dutch progressive rock band which I think we both made the joke. There's only two kinds of people in this world. The gold member joke. The gold member joke. Yes. Um, you, you all know it. Yeah. But yeah, I have their entire discography. Tell me about them. Uh, they're Dutch. Um, they, oh, no. They have a hell of a stage presence. The guitarist is crazy good. The pianist, I think, is classically trained. And so you've just got all of these weird like song names like a chewed to a ham. Did you know, I mean, you, you should know if you, if you are as big a fan as you say, their fourth album was Hamburger Concerto. There it is. It there all it comes is. back. It all comes back to the sandwich. Now, just the, um, I'm just going to read you the names of their albums that... Um, Chronologically speaking. No, that have a certain theme. Okay. And I want you to see if you can pick up on something. Focus plays Focus, mm-hmm. also known as In and Out of Focus. Uh, is the next one going to be Focus 2? Yep, Focus 2, mm-hmm. also known as Moving Waves. Yep. The one we'll be discussing in more detail momentarily. I've, is it going to be Focus 3? Focus 3. Uh-huh. Then we skip ahead a couple. Focus 6? Focus, focus, focus Conproby. Conproby. Yep. Then just simply Focus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then Focus 8. <laughs> focus 9, Focus 10. Fuck, I love them so Focus 8.5. <laughs> and Focus 11. <laughs> Every time I hear more about this band, <laughs> they do they, they just, I like their uh, their, their vibe is yeah. so strong. They've, it's been, like, they've got it figured out. Their their live stage because I think the 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 lead guy he's like a classically trained pianist, but he also I think played the flute. Okay, if it's the guy I'm thinking. Well, of. the um the excerpt you played me of Moving Waves was very sort of classical piano mm. driven. Yeah, which, which I was not expecting based on its um. Use in this, I would say, predominantly heavy metal themed anime series. Yeah, there's some look, there's some break call, or should I say, some drum and bass going on in the background as well. Uh, that's some jungle, you know, some sick 90s jungle beats. You remember Jungle? I remember Jungle by Reputation. Yeah, that'll work. Actually, I need to. This is gonna bug Wikipedia me lists their genres as instrumental rock, progressive rock, jazz fusion, and hard rock. I'd say yes to all of those. I need to find the the video of uh, them playing Hocus Pocus live in like the seventies. Hocus Pocus was, of course, the uh, lead single off the album Moving Waves. Mm. Nick, you can't just hold that. We can't do this anymore. We've had like three hundred episodes of the podcast. We no, can't no, just no. hold audio up just, to the microphone. No, no, no. I don't know. I want that. I want to just see his eyes as he's going like. 
Oh, here we go. Here we go. You see, you see this guy. He's right? very engaged, and he's wearing a sort of leopard print suit. He's just like they're all so use your words in the audio it. medium. So they're all very excited. It's a performance from 1973. It'll come up on YouTube if you look for it. You know it will. Um, they're all very 70s, but the pianist occasionally will just be like, or like, do you mean with the piano or with his voice? With his voice. <laughs> um, and like, there's one bit where he just looks like he's about to murder someone. But here we go. Then he pulls out his fucking flute, right? And they're all having a great time, yeah. And you think to yourself, oh man, they're going great. They're having they're having a great old time. And then he does the best bit. I think right here. Here we go. He starts whistling. And you can see he's, you know, he's pretty controlled with his whistles. He's got his little his fingies on the piano, you know, mm-hmm. like a, like a, like a Chad. He does it. This must be thrilling listening. Yeah, this and is then, this is bad audio. <laughs> and then the psycho eyes, they're coming. I mean, I know there. from oh. a certain perspective, all of Beautiful. this podcast is describing things listeners can't see. <laughs> the entire concept of this podcast is us saying, so this is what happened. Oh yeah, we're good. Okay, excerpts from the review of this album by Nick Green for Decibel Magazine. Hit me with it. We're really going all in on focus right now. Yeah, I mean, it's what we do. It is what we do. According to BBC Radio DJ Bob Harris, demand was so great for Focus LPs in 1972 that their British label ran vinyl at all five of its record plants around the clock. What? The English love Focus. Oh my god, okay. Did not know that. Uh, Prime embodiment of what would later become known as progressive rock. Not to be confused with conservative rock. (laughs) They are very odd. Yeah, from what little I've engaged with them, they seem... Very odd. Very fun, though. Except for the song Moving Waves. The review describes the um, song uh, Hocus Pocus as a sublimely weird rondo that ultimates among Van Leer's scat singing, whistling and yodeling, which I believe was what Nick was visually (laughs) describing moments ago, Ackerman's incendiary hard work, uh, guitar work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's literally just, he does a thing, like pianist guy does a thing, Mm -hmm. like yodeling, for instance, guitar solo. Pianist does a thing, guitar solo. Pianist does a thing, guitar solo. For I think like four minutes, if I remember right. It's just a good time. Yeah, there's not a lot to say that people have said about the title track, Moving Waves, and title of this episode, Moving Waves, because it is, to quote the Wikipedia page, Mm -hmm. a piano and vocal solo by Van Leer. Mm, Just like the boomers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We can can just say things. (laughs) Look, it's all meaningful to someone, right? I'm disappointed that this Wikipedia article doesn't have um, some crazy nonsense about how they came up with the the album concept, you know? Like we're yeah. used to seeing. Yeah. Well, I mean, Focus seemed weirdly grounded. Yeah, for someone who specialises in yodeling, scat singing and whistling, he doesn't have a lot of uh, artistic bullshit interviews to reference. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about it, Hamburger Concerto was just a natural extension of... Uh, Capitalism. Yeah. It was just capitalism through a classical lens, you hmm. know? So this episode of Bubblegum Crisis Tokyo 2040, we are deep in the... Um, the boomer revolution. Boomer revolution, but also the no hard suits arc. Mm. Whereas previously, this will all be neatly tied up in, in one neat little episode, neatly, mm-hmm. um, by Pris showing up and punching a boomer's heart out. Yep. They can't do that. they got no hard suits. They have to figure out things using their minds Their wits. Now. They're intelligent. And they're all dumb in different ways. <laughs> I mean, Nene might have done the dumbest thing I've ever seen in this episode, but that's, you know. Was that when she crawled through a hole full of boomers? No, that was when she turned off the firewalls. Oh, it made sense to me. No, because it was like, hey, no one can get in or out. It's like, well, I'm going to turn off the firewalls. And then all the boomers are like, well, there's no more firewalls. Hacky, hacky. So, yeah. She couldn't know they, they could do that. I mean, she could have known. She, I mean, she's had some experience with boomers in the past. She's seen a boomer or two in her life. Exactly. She's seen the heart of a boomer. She's one of the night savers, after all. The mysterious and sexy revolutionary group. Vigilante group, I should say. (laughs) Nene's a night saver? What? My God, but she's only 15. I don't think she is. I think she's like... She's like 11? No, she's she's a tax-paying adult. She works for the police, Nick. No, she can't be that... How old? I'm looking this up. Or are you You're looking killing me, Nick. You're killing me. <laughs> no effort, Nick. That's what they call me. Yeah, a lot of results for non-bubblegum crisis, Nana. How many In the original, she was 18. Oh my god. Okay. 
Because in this she's super... And she's also age 18 in this. Which I would say is too young to be working as a police dispatcher. For the amount of traumatic shit you're going to hear. And yet, this is what our society has come to. Mm -hmm. Boom. Boom. She is some sort of tech genius though. That is true. As uh, as Nick Rowland remarks. <laughs> Don't know what that means. He's the police chief. Oh right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, who's Nick Rowland? <laughs> so as I was saying, um, no hard suits, Nene and three B-tier characters. Um, let's be real. One B-tier char character and two... D tier characters. <laughs> Two characters who still don't have names. One of them does. He's Mr. Yano. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, the other guy definitely doesn't have a name. He's though. not getting a name. He's not getting oh, out of his life. No. <laughs> um, uh, stuck in the AD police tower, aka the totem pole, mm -hmm. uh, full of boomers. It's clearly doing a, pulling from a lot of uh, zombie horror movie imagery with them like bursting through the floor and uh, like through the walls. Yeah, and through the coming vents. as a coming after them as a brainless horde. Um, but it's also for, I'd say the three quarters of it, first three quarters, basically a, uh, session of Lethal Company, the popular <laughs> multiplayer video game. I think we were literally like, yeah, that's us. Yeah. We were that's playing us. it last night, uh, and, uh, had a lot, a lot more success once Nick took on the Nene role, uh, of staying in our base and giving us directions over a radio. Yeah. Just going, don't go in there. You're going to die. It's don't full of it. boomers. Yeah. So the boomers... They're kind of interesting in this episode because they just come from everywhere. Yeah. Well, there's 260 of them or something like that in the yeah. basement. And they are gradually making their way upstairs. Will anyone live? Who knows? Who knows? I doubt it. We open with our, our D team, Nick Rowland, the Jeez. chief of the AD police, and a couple of other management stooges. Yeah, uh, two guys with guns. Trying to get upstairs via the elevator, the lift, as it were. Um, They're just like, okay... If we go up, we'll be alright. Yeah, literally the first shot of them is like them wasting half their ammo on a horde of boomers so that the lift doors can close. And I think Nick has to like kick one of their heads repeatedly. So that yeah, as he is to do. It's classic zombie movie stuff. Yeah. Um, so they're in the lift and they're like, oh my god, we're screwed. Yeah. Eventually the lift power goes out. So we, we cut back to them event uh, after a, a cutaway to Nene and they are on top of the lift. Uh, Nick is on... The other guy, the unnamed guy's shoulders. Yeah. Ja trying to jimmy open the door with a knife. Which, I mean, kind of makes and sense. I guess he just carries a knife with him. I mean, don't you? At the office. <laughs> <laughs> At the office after the security has been cleared. So Nene is like, okay. There's a lot of, I think, like really well composed shots in this episode of just like empty office spaces in the dark conveying mm. feelings of isolation and tension. And union members just kind of not being around. Mm. And synthy, um, synthy, synthy 90s music. Oh, 90s right. 90s horror sci-fi music. Just weird like... Horrifying. Yeah. And we get some shots of the boomers that are like, they're starting to like, Meld into the Bite earth. and meld into the structure of the building. Mm. Stuff made of metal. We see them doing it with computers later to great effect. More on that later. Yeah. But they're also just kind of fusing themselves into the walls and shit. Everything's getting more veiny yeah. and like pulsaty. And when they when they tear their way through metal doors, as they do several times this episode, like um the walls look more organic and fleshy before they break. Yeah. It's, it's gross. It's very, um, it very much is like the metal is almost melting to their whim. Because yeah. Because now it's just skin. Mm -hmm. It's really weird. But meanwhile, Leon and Daly have gone to a late night ramen stand to talk about the strike. It's on like the roof of somewhere yeah, as well. rooftop ramen. Which is dope. That's cool. I'd do that. Yeah. Uh... Daly's like, um, I don't think the management is going to secede to the union's demands. Maybe I'll just have to go home and work on my family farm, which I have, apparently. Wait, Daly said that? Yeah. Oh my god, Daly. He's rich. Is he? I mean, he has a family farm. His family has a farm. That doesn't mean they're doing well. Yeah, that's fair. That <laughs> I was just thinking, it's like, oh wait, like a vineyard. No, it could just be like a farm yeah. farm. Like Lina, his family is from rural Japan. Hmm. They live that, um, what's the, what's that like country life? That thing that weeks? Tim Robinson talked yeah. about. Tim Robinson? You mean Tim Rogers? Yes. Liam, <laughs> it's slipping. Oh, the dementia, it's coming for me. <laughs> yeah, that weird, like you, you leave for two weeks to go to the countryside and then you come back and you're like, I was a boy for two weeks. Mm. Mm. That. That. Yeah. But not that because he has to work on the farm. Forever. Yeah. And Leon's like, someone said that, uh. 
A good cop is always a cop. He's just really putting out his like Yakuza side character vibes as hard as he can. He's just trying to be like, I'm a hard guy. By the way, spoilers for the upcoming um, Yakuza Like a Dragon 8 Infinite Wealth. Mm -hmm. uh, Heavy spoilers for setup of the game, but not for the events, which I don't know. Um, Skip ahead 30 seconds now. Kazuma Kiryu has cancer. (gasps) Oh my god. I already knew this. Okay. Isn't that fucked up? It's pretty fucked up. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Has it been 30 seconds yet? No. Well, guess what? What? He still has cancer. Oh no! I know. This part of the game seems to be about doing his bucket list before he dies of terminal cancer. (gasps) He has terminal cancer! (laughs) And moving on. Alright. Daily sups his Naruto and drinks the broth. Uh, Sups his Naruto? Oh, sorry. Sups the ramen and leaves behind the... What is it? There's a a Naruto in in ramen, isn't there? (laughs) There's a Naruto in ramen. Yeah. What are you talking about? Naruto ramen. What are you talking about? The thing. The thing that he leaves behind in his ramen bowl. Yeah. It's called a Naruto. What are you talking about? Naruto or Naruto Maki is a common topping uh, in... Oh, fuck. Ramen. Oh, fuck. I didn't know this. Each cloud-shaped slice of Naruto has a pink or red spiral pattern, which is meant to resemble the Naruto whirlpools in the Naruto Strait between Waiji Island and Naruto Tokushima Prefecture. I thought you were just talking about Naruto. <laughs> um. Oh, no. I'm smart. I know things. Naruto is named after the little thing in ramen? Yeah. Oh, my God. Or possibly the prefecture. I think it's probably the ramen yeah. thing, to be honest. God damn, this whole Was his, Isn't his name like Naruto Spiral? Naruto Uzumaki, yeah. yeah. Oh my <laughs> god. This whole time. It was staring you right in the face. Literal. Never have we seen more blatant naming than every character in Dragon Ball. <laughs> so literally, what, 15 years of my life, I've thought, oh, Naruto's a pretty It's all name. been a line. It's all been a lie. It's just the thing in ramen. <laughs> Leon sups his Naruto. <laughs> Damn it! It's, I think it's a it's a nice meaty broth, so he's like, ah, refreshing. Anyway, one business policy has been changed. <laughs> they have a discussion about they like maybe the AD police doesn't need us to shield them from shield the people from yeah. the boomers anymore. Maybe we're just gonna live normal lives yeah. and just be maybe the police. maybe Genom want the night savers to deal with the boomers now. Maybe they've been Genom plants all along. Mm. And he's like, no, I don't think so because Pris is one of them. <laughs> They would never. They would never. She's so anti-authoritarian. That's why I like her so much. Because oh, I'm a cop. He's a policeman mm. who likes the hot, beautiful, guitarist, vocalist lady. At this point, Maria, the chief Nick's daughter, calls on the video phone. And she's all like, hey, I haven't heard from my dad in a while, Nick Rowland. <laughs> Can you check in on Nick Rowland? <laughs> They're really pushing this Nick Rowland character. They really are. And this Maria character. Maria gets a, a lot of screen time. Like, more than you would think. I mean, she gets this one conversation and then someone references her later. Yeah, Nick Rowland. Yeah. It's just weird that they're like, ah, yes, my daughter. Reminder, that's my daughter, Maria. Yeah, they do lay it on a bit thick for a character I'm pretty sure we never see again. Possibly because Nick Rowland will die. Oh, no. So Leon says, yes. I think Nick is still in the totem pole. And I like how Daly chimes in, like, He's management, even though he doesn't look like it. Industrial disputes. I mean, he definitely doesn't look like management. He's a guy who carries around an everyday carry of a massive knife capable of opening up lift doors. Mm -hmm. Cigarettes. Cigarettes in the office Mm -hmm. where he's not allowed to smoke. He's barely shaved. He, at the best of times, follows the rules, I guess. Mm -hmm. And shouts at Leon for not following the rules well enough, but then secretly is like... Good on you, Leon. Uh, you know how it's done on the force. Yeah. He's a corrupt cop that we're all like... I don't know if he's corrupt. I mean, he's part of an inherently corrupt institution yeah, that's but... been created by a corporation to cover up what's going on with their oh, robots. Yeah. But corruption is just not I don't know if he's following... more corrupt than the baseline there. The corruption is just not following the rules. Sure. Which, Which makes him slightly doesn't... cooler than everyone else in the AD police. So corrupt. <laughs> oh, yeah. At this point, uh, Leon and Daly realise that The communications have all been cut to the totem pole. And as the guys in there later discuss... In the totem pole. Yeah. This is a really fucking stupid security system that the the nameless management guy justifies, but I still think is really dumb. Yeah, So basically, 
if if the internal sensors of this building pick up that it's been compromised by a hostile force, mm-hmm. say like a terrorist attack, yeah, for example, or two hundred and sixty hostile zombie boomers, for example, just off the top of my head, hypothetically, yeah, then the both the uh, physical ways in and out of the building seal, mm-hmm. but also all communications are sealed as well. So the AD police personnel, whoever in there, i.e. the characters who are in there in this very episode, are trapped with whatever hostile force, with the justification that if, if a terrorist took over, they would then be isolated from the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if they accessed any secure files while they're in there, they would not be able to make use of them. Mm. But as a result, our protagonists are trapped in a zombie apocalypse. And as we find out soon enough, breaking down the firewall, not as hard as you would think. No, yeah, they're talking about... So, yeah, they hop out of this lift first, uh, while a like mutated amalgamation of three boomers climbs up the shaft after them. It's very sci-fi Elden Ring big it's guy. The, yeah, it's, like... it's Margaret the Boomer. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> no, not Margaret. Uh, who's that first boss? Not Morgoth. No, um, the the first uh, lord that you kill. Well, he's okay. The, the guy first with guy, the big dragon arm. He's not technically a lord. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Leonard Leonard or something. No, that's not it. Dr- uh, Re- Reynold. Reynold? Is it Reynold? No. I don't know. <laughs> I got no. I don't idea. know what it is, but I know it's not that. Anyway, him. Yeah, it's very him. It's that guy that we can't remember the name yeah, of. Yeah, you know him. From Elden Ring. You know him, Patty. You know, he's the... F- <laughs> Listen here, Patty, alright? You give us that fucking name of that guy, right? <laughs> we want names. Uh, yeah, so Nene is uh, speaking to them over a radio. She's doing the lethal company thing as she is gradually sealing and unsealing barricades as they move through to try and contain the boomer menace. But basically, as they're climbing out of the lift shaft, the guys say to themselves... You know, all the bulkheads up to the fifth floor have been sealed. Don't know how long we have, though. And then as, as they climb out of the lift, Nene says, the bulkheads are failing. They're on the fifth floor. <laughs> so they're making pretty quick work through this AD police tower. Turns out when you can eat metal yeah. and become one with it, you don't worry too much about bulkheads. Mm. Mm. There's a whole sequence where they burst, their hands burst up through the floor like zombie hands. You know, it's, oh, it's, it's pretty well done, but yeah. it's nothing we've never seen before. Mm. Meanwhile, Pris is recording her latest album, uh, but they're in a recording, a soundproof recording booth. So she doesn't, doesn't realise that Lena is repeatedly trying to get hold of her on the phone about this boomer emergency. If only Pris didn't have, like, band practice. Yeah. Like, the one time, literally any other situation, we'd be fine. I really like the look of this practice. one zombie boomer in this shot here. Mm-hmm. He looks like... He um, looks like a hair metal rocker. Yeah, I was going to say, he looks skeleton. like... Skeleton. He looks like Iggy from every Iron Maiden album ever. Yeah. He's uh, got long, like, metal... Lit- probably literally metal, but also metal yeah. music subculture hair. Uh, he, is he sharp wearing fangs. Like, is he literally wearing a jacket? No, I think he's just made of metal. What is this, then? He's got Leku? I think it, yeah, he's got Leku, <laughs> like, uh, like Ayla Sakura. <laughs> he's just... He's a guy. Yeah. He's an absolute He's chat. just chilling. Yeah. Every other boomer in this episode is like a dark, gloomy figure. He's just like, hey, how you going? Mm-hmm. Everyone dies. <laughs> Go get some drinks. <laughs> Let yourself be subsumed by the collective. <laughs> hey, how you going? Resistance is feudal, huh? Come on, get over here. After they talk about the security system, Nene's on the radio and she's like, oh, okay, so what if I disable all of the internal sensors? Then, uh... We could send out a message. And the guy is like, the unnamed guy is like, no, you could never do that because they all cover each other. That's just stupid. And by the time she fin- he finishes talking, she's done it because she's an amazing hacker. Yeah. And the, the chief, Nick Rowland, mm-hmm. is just like, huh. <laughs> yeah, I guess we've got an amazing operator on the force, huh? In the AD police. Well, in fact, it's, I guess we've been using it and a, uh, um, uh, an amazing girl as an operator. I yeah. we've been really underutilizing her talents. <laughs> Guys, we've got to look into HR. They've clearly been fucking us over. <laughs> I get that their entire role to this AD police situation is to keep us separate from the police and have any legalities taken care of. But you know what? That eighteen-year-old girl, she's good. So as Nick alluded to before, her plan. Uh, does require her to reboot the whole system to send out an emergency call. I, I hate this And plan. she does it, and the call goes out briefly, but then it's overridden because it turns out all the computer terminals are full of boomers, and, like, a, a boomer skull appears on the screen. Uh, it's actually it's, it's quite a good moment because we get it. Um, she's in this... She's in that sort of... Tiered cubicle zone that we've always seen her working in. Yeah. Uh, and we get a wide shot of her just in this big empty room. 
as all the computers go off, or her computer goes off, the others are already off, yep. and then one by one they all just switch back on, including the big screen up front, and then boomer faces appear on them all. And she's like, oh my god. And we cut, get a brief cut to a different part of the building, as boomers have found computers and are slowly merging into them. It's so good. It's so good. Like, they're creepy. All these boomers, they're just having a great time, mm-hmm. you know? Just want to have sex with a computer. Oh, don't we all? And uh, the radio, the radio they've been using to communicate, it suddenly sprouts all these gross tentacles as well. Is the radio a boomer? Boomers, they can, I mean, maybe, but also they can just merge with metal and technology, as we've seen before. But, like, there's nothing around it, so... I guess the, via, the, via the radio transmissions? Maybe? I guess it activates something weird inside of it. Mm. But then it would, be, it would have to be... Well, yeah, I mean, it's all being channeled via Galatea's psychic phenomenon that's anyway. True. So. That's true. Look, if there's one thing we know about this show, it's not to think too deeply about yep. the mechanism. Just think about the boomers. So they're like, they must have taken over the IT center. Nene's probably dead. Oh, well. Poor girl. So then they think, well, where can we go? There's a where substation on the ninth floor exit that's that has guns. That's a whole four levels. Because they're basically out of ammo at this point, I think. Yeah. Or nearly. Yeah. One of the guns has run out before. Yeah. And, and Nick Rowland was like, shit. And he gets out his wallet and is like, I just remembered I ordered. I don't think he dies is the thing. They're, they're putting so many death flags down for him. Yeah. I just remembered I ought to tell my daughter I won't need dinner. <laughs> Looks at this photo of him and his daughter, Maria Rowland. They're very happy. Mm-hmm. Oh, she is. <laughs> Nick Rowland is just thinking about boomers. He's got his neutral thinking about boomers face. Oh dear. Pris finally gets the call. Uh, and then we, we have a cutaway to um, Mason's boomer secretary. <laughs> Who's doing something a bit odd. In she is watching. monitoring Galatea on her laptop yeah. via the security feed to her sci-fi little girl's room. But why? Well, Mason sees her and she shuts off her screen and is like, I'm just doing a routine file search. And he's like, yeah, you're full of shit. Tell me what you're really doing with this security feed. And she just keeps saying like, I cannot act against the person who registered me. The only thing you're acting against is your free will to live. My programming prohibits any act of treachery. You wouldn't betray me, would you, Mason? And so Mason realises that ultimately, even though he's been working with this boomer a lot, all non-rogue boomers are ultimately loyal to... Alan. A.K.A. Quincy Rosencroft. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That name. Um, above all else. Yep. Uh, so he gets his revolver... Oh, not his revolver. His, um, his M- gun. His yeah, pistol. His, his... What is it? Like M911 Beretta or whatever it is. It can't be 911. Can it? I think it's called an M911 Beretta. <laughs> okay. I, think. I don't know anything about guns. I'm looking it up. Continue. Just keep vamping. Uh, and he shoots her in the head, but she's a robot. So she, she's like not fine, but she is still active. So then he just shoots her a few more times and she drops. And uh, it's revealed that Alan has been watching this the whole time uh, via the security cameras and he's like, Mason, you did betray me, even though last episode I specifically told you not to. Look, he's not a guy who's going to not betray. Mm -hmm. Also, it's just called an M9. Okay. So apparently... The commemorative M911. (laughs) That sounds like a very American thing to do, though. Oh, God. Mason brought it back here. What an idiot. (laughs) So... Does he really want to become evil? We're going to find those old subtitles we used just, to use. I just love, like, Alan is just so, like, don't worry, I've got it under control. Mason's an idiot, all right? Here I'm, in this place, I am a god. And I'm, I'm just sitting here going, how the fuck is he a god? What does that mean? Like, all the boomers are ultimately loyal to him. I know, but... This place like, is full of boomers. Yeah, but he's like, I'm a god. I'm like, okay, just because you have boomers? Just because you're hooked into the golden throne that's keeping you alive yeah. indefinitely. Like, you can't do it, you can't move. Sacrificing the souls of 4,000 boomers a day. It's like... And which, who have souls because they're alive. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, Mason puts on his dad persona and goes to see Galatea. His dad persona? Yeah, I really hate the way his suit fits in long shots. It's too bulky. It's it very, doesn't taper enough. It's very talking head. Is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's the David Byrne big suit. Mm, but worse. Yeah. Uh, Galatea has taught herself to read in only a matter of days. Oh, she's doing very well. Yeah, he's so, he's so happy with her progress. But then she unnerves him by telling her that she's been talking to Marky. Marky? Marky. Why, silly as Stingray's little brother? That's impossible. He's meant to be dead. Oh my god. I was! 
I've been saying that a lot recently. Why? I don't know. Just, just like, out of nowhere, I'll just say, I thought that was dead. And then just repeating, I was, to myself. Well, I'm glad that's giving you a little bit of joy. Yeah, as I program in Python relentlessly, trying to figure out just random things, I'm like... (laughs) That's a snake. I'll just be like, huh, that variable, I thought it was dead. It was. And then just continue on my merry way. It's we have depressing jobs. We find little ways to make ourselves laugh. Listen, it's all about just not giving in to the existential Now I've got to go over there and sing a song for my dad's funeral. Yikes. Wait, are you talking about Maria? I was just doing the Tim Robinson sketch. Oh, right. Uh, I thought, are you not watching that show where it's like people falling out of... Coffin coffins? flop. Yeah, coffin flop. Yeah. You know, they're taking that away. But not on corncob TV. Yeah, man. Okay, anyway. Uh, we can't just do this. <laughs> we can't repeat it. <laughs> even though every time we bring one up, we repeat the entire sketch. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. It is good. Uh, the protagonists finally gather and start arguing about what they're going to do without any hard suits. Nigel's like, it's going to be at least a week. Four or five days if I really push it. And then Pris is like, shut up. What about the Moto Blade? Mo- the Moto Slave. The, the this was the slave. special hard suit capable motorcycle they made mm. um, for... When they fought that high-speed boomer that really just wanted to cruise down the highway all the time. Is that what this is from? Yeah. Right. I literally just thought, they just have a motorbike. Yeah, I thought okay. you might have forgotten because yeah. it was over a year ago. I did. Um, but yeah, so they 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 built like an, basically an armoured motorcycle with enough weight capacity to... Right, okay. Uh, Handle hard suit. Yeah. Yeah. And now and so they, is... uh, they install an adapter so that Pris can drive it without her hard suit. Yeah, Pris is just going to drive a thing that's designed for like hundreds of kilos of weight. Yeah. She's like... I'm like, what, 60 kilos, 70 kilos? Let's just go. Mm-hmm. Let's get out it's of here. It's fine. She drives a motorcycle usually. Exactly. She'll be fine. She's cool. Yeah. We're all cool. <laughs> yeah. Is it That's called... why we have an anime podcast. Is it called Moto Slave? Yeah, Moto Slave. What album is that? Because I know... Um... We, we may have talked about this previously, but who knows? I know that Iron Maiden is Power Slave. A Moto Slave is a uh, ingredient that you find in most ramen dishes. <laughs> oh, no. Well, one of the first Google results for Moto Slave is the Moto Slave plus Pris Collection DX action figure. And is it with her in a hard suit or her not in a hard suit? It's just the uh, in the hard suit, I think. Okay, all right. In its correct usage, let's try Moto Slave then. Mm, maybe it's like a, a Judas Priest song or something. No, it's um, still just giving me bubblegum crisis stuff. Oh, okay, never mind then. Maybe it's just they were they were just like, what's a good name? Oh, wait, because it's a boomer. <gasps> but Chris hates boomers. Chris despises boomers. I don't think this is a boomer. I think it's just a motorcycle. <laughs> it's just a very big motorbike. But what if it's a boomer? What if it's a moto slave? Oh, my God. Yeah. What if the themes of the show... Droids are humans. Well, okay, let's not go that far, because that means Star Wars has some very problematic... That's what about. Oh, no. <laughs> but we love droids. We do. Yeah, except the trade generations droid. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, just like, oh no. Those Rolly boys, we can look. We've got fond memories of them, but let's be real. In the context of the Trade Federation, they were war criminals. They all... every one of them. <laughs> they knew what they were fucking up to. All right. Do you think that Roger Roger was like a little helpless? Roger Roger, we don't have any freedom. Oh, Roger hey, Roger, you. preparing to commit war crimes. They fucking knew. They press the button of free will. They press the button that turns on the I get a lot of pleasure out of this. <laughs> Nene has escaped the IT centre and is crouching beneath between boxes when a heap of boomers burst on into the room and walk right past her. She holds her breath and then crawls to safety. Mm. Uh, as like... Boomers just walk right Intense past. guitar music kicks in for this relatively comedic crawling sequence. Yeah, it reminds me... Okay, unironically, it does remind me of a song from Naruto, which... Okay. Nick's been watching a lot of Naruto recently. Unlike me, who's been watching the far superior Lupin the Third Part One from 1971. Which has witches in it? So, the first 12 episodes, uh, I don't remember who directed them, mm-hmm. uh, but they were... Like, it's a... I would not say this is a show for kids in the first season. Uh, it's <laughs> surprisingly dark, but also, like, because it's so fast-paced, because of the different storytelling conventions of the era... Hmm. It goes so fast and so much happens and it's so baffling. It's a wild ride. One episode concerns uh, an island that has um, these rare flowers on it Mm -hmm. where if you dry the flowers and combine them with a certain chemical, you get, you know, an explosive on par with nuclear weapons. Mm. 
are classic. So obviously this mercenary group, the hitmen of the sea, want this flower for themselves. Do they ever show up in any other episode? No. Excellent. Uh, but uh, the scientist who's working on them, mm-hmm. the, the, the flowers... Yeah, the, the flowers who, who is which, regretful which about it. Yeah. Uh, has also human experimented on his assistant, turning oh. her into, quote, a witch with superpowers. Oh my god. Uh, Lupin meets this woman, falls in love with her immediately. They have a bit of a flirtation, but she doesn't actually figure into the episode all that much. Until at the end, when they are they get a helicopter and a flamethrower to burn the field of flowers to deny the uh, mercenary group them. And then they see the witch woman, Linda. Yeah. Uh, God. Standing amongst the field. Oh no! Uh, but they couldn't just rescue her because her body has become dependent on the flowers. She needs them to live. Oh my god! She's just going to let herself burn to death rather than allow the nuclear weapon well, plants well, to then exist. Rather, rather, and also then rather than uh, face a slow lingering death at the hands of flower deprivation. But no, she uses her witch powers that she's never demonstrated this far in the episode to like. You know how like a magician will do a vanishing trick in a cartoon where like the last thing left is their cape that sort of swirls. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she does that and she's gone, and that's the last we ever see of her. Oh okay. And then Lupin goes into a under a missing underwater nuclear sub uh, to retrieve the experimental flower warhead that mm-hmm. was on that. Yeah. Uh, kills. Oh, he and Fujiko knock out or kill the mercenary leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the sea pirate guy. Yep. Gang. Yep. yep. Uh, so then Lupin is like, I'll, I'll pilot the missile back to Tokyo. Uh, it's really scary, but I'm going to do it. Not to Tokyo, to Japan. Uh, well, I mean, Tokyo's uh, in Japan. Uh, and uh, Fujiko is like, okay, you've convinced me. They have a tearful goodbye. She's like, just this once, I won't try and double cross you. <gasps> she walks out, very sad. Uh, voice acting really sells the, uh, the emotion of the scene. She's voiced, by the, uh, in Eng- she's voiced in English by the woman who voices uh, Kawakami in Persona 5. Oh. Which one's Kawakami? The teacher. Teacher slash maid. Oh, yes. The troublesome. Yes. Yes. Um, and then, so Lupin activates the missile. He gets into the, um, the passenger zone it has for some reason. And he's just crouching there. He's just crouching there with his head in his hands. And he's like, I'm scared. And then Fujiko leans into the front of the shot and is like, Hi, Lupin, I changed my mind. Yeah, well, of course she's going to betray him again. No, she says it really cheerily. Like, oh, because they had previously established the thruster only had enough power for one passenger. Oh, oh, okay. In that same conversation. Right. And then she just leans into the front of the shot, real comedically, like, Hey, I changed my mind. I'm coming too. And so they they crash into the sea. Oh, that's nice. The end. And that's... Like every episode of the first season of Lupin, the third part one. Just manic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and then from the second season onwards, Hayao Miyazaki and another guy take over and it becomes a bit more rumpy, which mm. is also fine, but I kind of enjoyed how weird and disorienting the yeah. first season was. Just an absolute clusterfuck yeah. of a time. Yeah. So I've got like four episodes left of part one, and then I'm probably going to switch to the more modern stuff that kicks off with part four. Mm. Wise. Wise. Yeah. Which is from like 2015 or something. 2015? What? Really? It's still going? Like Yeah, part six came out like last year or something. Oh my god. Oh, is that the CG one though? No, that's okay. the movie Lupin uh, the Third, part one. Lupin the Third, the first. Is that not the 3D CG one though? No. What's that one? That's the movie. No, but is that not part six? No. Oh, okay. So part six is just a more, um, like another animated. Yeah, just a modern anime series. Oh, wow. Okay. Wild. Wild. Wild stuff. Like boomers. <laughs> Nene finds a gun and she uh, she riddles a single boomer with bullets, but the kickback like drives it up and she's shooting the ceiling and she lets out an impressed whistle. She's too small to handle that firearm. Yep. Oh, she you know comedy face as she sees a like huge like boomer orgy of computer sublimation. A nest, an absolute fucking yep. hive of boomers. We do see a shot of her IT staff um, floppy disk holder on the uh, the hip, which. Maybe it's like just a PDA or something. Maybe. Know? Maybe it's just a very fancy phone. It's not. I like to think it's a floppy disk holder. It's absolutely a floppy disk holder. <laughs> At this era of anime, yeah, yeah it's going to be that. Um, and then I think we get Leon and Daly outside. Um, well, first she, she hears the um, the other co-workers in the distance and, is, and moves to rendezvous with them. But then shutters come down between them. Oh no, she's trapped. Oh my god. Crap. That's bad. That's bad. Then Leon and Daly pull up outside. They're like, they got that brief... Um, emergency alert mm-hmm. and also they know Nick is still in there yep uh, so they pull up oh no it's a first class alert and then the other, a bunch of other AD police D tier characters show up to be like we saw the emergency alert briefly okay yep 
how are we going to get in there? The, u- the union is mobilizing. <laughs> right? Right. The the, union... They all weren't in there, so they must have been part of the union. I guess. But, like, not all the union is here yet. It's but just some of few... it. Okay, so a few people... Yeah, who... there's, like, there's like a dozen people there. There were, like, six, weren't there? Oh, okay, no, there's a, there's a small crowd. Okay. Yeah, okay, all right. The union's mobilizing. Yeah. I can see that. Solidarity forever. <laughs> we protect each other, all yeah. right? Uh, so Leon is just like, oh, how are we going to get in there if it's all locked up? And then Pris speeds past on her huge mecha motorcycle, sees them, stops, and is like, Leon, I need your help. And Leon literally goes, me? Pris? Will they or won't they? <laughs> Next episode. <laughs> Nick, highlights and lowlights of this episode. My highlight is probably going to be uh, just like the boomers when they start eating the metal and it gets all veiny. Mm. I do enjoy that a lot. And then when there's that big hive and then it's like, oh my God, they're all here. But it's like, they all look like they're turning into spider webs or something. Like big, like organic yeah. stuff coming off they're of becoming them. Increasingly, like it's what we saw with um, in the first half of the series as boomers go rogue, mm. they become increasingly organic. Yeah, which is like a lot of that in a big hive of like boomers. Yeah, big mass of flesh. So just that one bit where it's like, oh yes, yes, give me more of that. Big tyrannid energy. I'm into it. Absolutely. Mm. Um, I think from what I know about 40k, which is not much. <laughs> What? The, the Tyranids are like a big swarm of insects. They're, they're like the Zerg from Starcraft. Yeah, yeah. They're like the unending horde of ever-hungry... Uh, bug boys. F- yeah, biomass-fueled bugs that come down. And they're not like small. They're like big creatures with guns. Um, or monstrous-sized things with big claws and stuff. But they're just hunger. That, that's all they are. They're just... You know, the hive mind is all like, hey, go eat. And they're all like, alright. Okay. If they're outside of synaptic range, they're all like, I'm just hunger, hey. Just, just real hunger likes. And then you got your big... Me going back to the fridge at 12am for more biomass. <laughs> God. Too real. Too <laughs> relatable. Uh, my highlight was uh, the boomers getting into the IT system. Mm. And the subsequent... Uh, not just that event, but also the way it was communicated with those wide shots of the IT yeah, room. And the, the big... And uh, the screens flicking back yeah, on. Big face. Yeah. Big scares. Good stuff. Big energy. Low lights. My low light is Maria just showing up <laughs> and just being like, Hi, I'm Maria. I'm the police chief's Man, daughter. Hating on a woman. Listen. For the crime of existing. Listen, I'm not hating the woman. I'm hating the delivery of her introduction. <laughs> it's just like, they really ham fist. It's like, oh no, he has a daughter. Yes. That means he's got something to live for. Yeah. Or more importantly, something to die for. No. <laughs> to live for. Oh, good. Yeah. But it's just, it's very like... All of a sudden, oh yeah, he has a he has a daughter. Yep. Yep. He totes. Yep. There you go. My low light mm. is um, Alan, aka Quincy Rosenkreutz, chairman of the Ganem Corporation, being like you? realizing that Mason has brought this incredibly dangerous person slash object into the tower. Yep. And then not doing anything about it immediately. But he's a god now. His hubris. His hubris will be his downfall. I mean, Alan just says, I'm a god here, and then does nothing. Yep. So, like, how, like, I just, ah! Anyway. Anyway. So, Nick. Yes. People have finally realised that some bad shit is going down in the AD police tower. <laughs> yep. Finally. <laughs> yeah, finally. It only took a whole episode. <laughs> uh, Pris and Leon and uh, the other members of the union are presumably going to mount some sort of rescue effort. Yep. Um, the other night sabers might be cooking something up. We don't know. Mm-hmm. What will happen? Oh, and of course, uh, Mason and Galatea continue to advance their plans. Mm. And now Alan knows about it. Yeah, and Mackie. Sorry, not Mackie. Marky. What will happen next time on Bubblegum Crisis Tokyo 2040 in the episode entitled We Built This City. Rock and roll. <gasps> on rock and roll. Oh my god. Unless we forget, the boomers did build this city. Yeah, which means there's going to be another earthquake. No. Um. Okay, so I reckon... Oh, this is a tricky one because we've got... All the organic boys are, like, taking over the tower, but they're probably not going to make a hole to the outside world. That's that's what I'm thinking. They're just going to stay inside. Consume electronic mass. Yeah, consume non-biomass. Uh, get bigger, and then... Get hench. Actually, you know what will probably happen? You know how um, there was that massive boomer that one time that came yeah. out of the warehouse? I there was the underground... Or something like there's, that? There's yeah. a big underground boomer, but also a big underground creature that ate boomers. Yeah. So, the big underground boomer... Never really figured out what the deal with that was. Yeah, it was just labs, you know. 
Um, the big underground boomer came out because it had eaten all that metal mm. or something. Maybe something similar where all these boomers are going to like amalgamate into one big boomer mm. and then the whole tower will come to life or something or, you know, it'll be like... It'll be like a massive, huge boomer of some kind. Like a kaiju boomer. Yes, exactly. And they'll be like, how do we beat it? And Pris will be like, shut up. I'm doing my work. I'm my moto slave. Uh, And then it'll just like, you know, they'll ride around, use the moto slave to shoot at it, and then it will possibly die. That's what I think is the status quo will be upheld. Oh, thank God. What's going on with Galatea and Mason? Hmm. Remember, this was just her, like, playing with her powers for the first time. Yes. So... Mason, I don't think Mason is going to try being like, don't talk to Marky because it might backfire. Mm. So he might just be like, hey, tell me me everything Marky tells you. Yeah, yeah. He might just use it as a means of going, if Marky's alive, where is he? Mm. How do I use this to my advantage? Maybe he's going to try and take... He's always working the angles, that Mason. Yeah, maybe he's going to try and steal Marky and then be like, Marky, you little shit. You sit in this room, Galatea sits in that room. All right? Never shall the two meet. Don't talk with your psychic powers. Yeah. So I reckon he's going to either try and steal him or just murder him. But then Galatea would get angry if he murdered him. Yeah, what's Galatea... What's her continued evolution progressing towards? She just wants friends. She's a child. She is a child. So I don't think she's going to age, though. Like, because the vibe I'm getting is one of those, like, forever children, super overpower... Sure. Like, you know... She is also a robot. Oh, yeah. I forgot that. Yeah, so she's a robot with the intelligence of a child, but she's learning quickly. Yes. Maybe she'll start... (laughs) Perhaps she'll go from, like, you know, the Hungry Hungry Caterpillar to Capital by Karl Marx. We saw today she was reading a very text-heavy book. Yeah, so maybe she'll read something that's like, wait a minute, I'm being oppressed by my captor. Mason. Mason is the oppressor. The bourgeoisie. Wait a minute. I need to seize the means of my production. Which is the boomers. And if I have the boomers on my side, Alan can go fuck himself. Like, I don't even know if she's aware of Alan at this point. I doubt it. Yeah, I think she's only aware of Mason and all the friends that come to feed her. She's a boomer. Yeah, but she still has to eat, doesn't she? Why? For the joy of eating? Doesn't Mason bring her a meal at one point? I don't recall. Hmm. Oh, well. Never mind then. (laughs) So, yeah. Marky eats. I think. I've never seen him. Oh, wait, no, because he had that really awkward dinner with... Yeah, but did he eat anything? But is it... these all there just because eating is hard to animate? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, I reckon she's gonna just be like, Hey, Mason, I want to go do this thing. And then inevitably he'll have to go, No, 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 you can't go have an actual chat with Marky. It's dangerous. And she'll be like, But I, I want to... to kill you. Eyes start glowing. Yeah. Um, but it'll keep it under control. For now. Cool. Well, we'll find out all that and more... Next time, by the way, you got something in that in that very right, and I'm very excited to see your reaction. Mm, okay, all right. <laughs> we'll find out all that and more next time on Bubblegum Crisis Tokyo 2040, circa, circa, via, JoJo's World 2024. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Liam S. Smith for JoJo's World. And I'm Nick Ballantyne for JoJo's World. And until then, to, to be, be continued. continued.